Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. I'm Joey Christopoulos. You can follow me at Joey Sports Guy. Thank you so much for tuning in the show. We got a fantastic guest coming up, but first, we got to talk about our presenting sponsor and who else? It's always been BetOnline.ag. And look, NFLs in full swing nhl nba college football no yeah college basketball right around the corner that's why bet online remains your spot for all your live betting action and contests all the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time so what are you waiting for head to the website or use your mobile device right now and sign up today you'll receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit that is only when you use promo code believe b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in the show. I'm so excited to talk to this guest because this is several topics that we're going to be talking about are very near and dear to my heart. You can follow him at Reject. You could check out his newsletter, A Shot on Elo, but most importantly, coming right around the bend and here to preview it right now. His book, it is entitled Six Rings, The Bulls, The City, and The Dynasty That Changed the Game. It's Jack Silverstein. Welcome, man. How are you today? Hey, Joey. Good. How are you? I'm uh, great to have you on. Um, been a fan of yours for a little while. I'm so happy that we're able to be connected. Um, Chicago sports historian, and you also have a book coming out um, in the near future. Um, for our audience, just kind of walk us into a little bit uh, of your background and the impetus for writing the book Six Rings. Definitely. I am a Chicago sports fan and a Chicago sports historian. I am definitely both. And um, I don't remember where it came up, but the term meathead historian definitely came up at one point deep in some conversation. I don't think I lean into that necessarily, but it's not not true. Um, And with that in mind, I set out in early 2020 to write the first definitive history on the Bulls dynasty. And even with the last dance out, that's not definitive. this is a look at the entire dynasty, the entire run, but equally on the court and away from the game. So not just the things that happened with the Bulls, definitely those things, definitely game recaps, player interviews, but all the culture that took place around it, that came up around the team, the clothing lines, the obviously logos, the songs, the events, you know, individual player events, team events. Um, You know, some of my interviews that I've done, one of my favorites is with uh, the ad executive or the clothing line executive who figured out uh, that they should make Carson Perry Scott the official team store. He invented the concept of a team store so that when you walk into Carson Perry Scott, you, if you were going to get a basketball that might be in sporting, if you were going to get like a bull shirt that might be in clothes, if you were going to, if you were interested in like a bull's mug that would be in household items. And he was like, there should just be a bull section and all the bull stuff should be in one section. That was the thing he came up with. One of my favorite interviews. And it, it led to them being the first run for all championship shirts. So he would run the, the day after a title you know, he would run the Carson Perry Scott store. Um, talks about Jerry Reinsdorf flying him to LA for games. I think he ended up maybe just doing four and five or maybe three, four and five. And some, maybe his wife missed game three, but like Jerry Reinsdorf sent them on separate planes so that he could go to game three in LA and 
maybe his wife had to stay back for a birthday party. So it's stuff like that, like the culture around it. You know, one of the pieces I just did was the million dollar shot. Um, oh my God. April, yeah. April nine, April 93. Yeah. So, um, they, I tracked down Don Calhoun in 2020, I think early 22. It took me about a year, um, between like trying to track him down, tracking him down, getting a line on him, talking to him, getting him to go on the record, just like a really sweet guy, but just, I don't know. He just like, wasn't totally interested at first. And so like took a little while. He has this incredible story. And, um, so did that piece. So, you know, I, the stuff around the team, which made it a, you know, cultural phenomenon. That's, that's as much of my book as the, you know, what happened on the court. Well, it's the inside stuff that I'm interested in because I'm just going to guess that me and you, we grew up during this. Like these are our formative years as kids. So right. uh, my question for you is in doing this research, um, when you say in the book, you say, obviously, we mentioned Six Rings, we mentioned the Bulls, we mentioned Dynasty, but you also purposefully put the city into your title, too, as well. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can go go back and just say, uh, is there anything culturally beyond just with the city specifically that kind of <clears throat> surprised you? Because honestly, I'm just riding bikes and with a sparkler in my hand when they beat the Sonics in 96, right? I'm not maybe necessarily deep down in the city. So wh what did you learn that maybe kind of surprised you a little bit going back and learning more about the city during that time? I mean, it's, it's still, it's still going on for sure. But, you know, one of the works that I've come to, and I haven't been able to interview this author yet. Um, and I'll, I'll send you his name and I can't, I can't think of it offhand, but there's a, there's a, he's a prof college professor, but he published a work on the creation of the United Center and what the Reinsdorf family and the Wirtz family, you know, what Jerry and, uh, uh and Bill Wirtz did to create the United Center and how that like created a certain landscape, um, you know, a certain template for future stadiums and what kind of uh, concession deals you have and what kind of parking deals you had and, you know, what they tried to do, what they said they were going to do with the neighborhood, what they actually did with the neighborhood. So those kinds of stories. Um, this guy wrote a really great book, but it's, I, I think he started it as like a thesis because you can find it online in a PDF form because he had to um, submit it probably to whatever university he was at and then he turned it into a book. But that kind of thing really interests me um, for sure. I mean, some of Don Calhoun's story is city-based. Um, some interviews that I haven't done yet uh, that a friend of mine, he and I were actually working on possibly doing something together and, but however it breaks, um, some interview opportunities with people he knows that are in the basketball scene um, around the city and we're playing in, you know, some of the pickup games that MJ would show up at, for example, that kind of thing. So a lot of city stuff and, um, but also, also the burbs as well. I mean, because the bulls kind of, you know, they played in the city, but most of those guys lived in the suburbs. So like suburban people have and like trained, really trained in Deerfield. Yeah. Highland park. Exactly. In Deerfield, right? Exactly. Yeah. So like when I, um, so this year, was it, I think it was February 23rd, someone online invented, oh, it's Michael Jordan Day, because it's 2, 2, 3, oh, yeah. 2, 3. And then people started Which hasn't quite MJ taken thing. hold. Yeah, is that taking no. hold, Jack? Uh, yeah, not quite, right? I, and I love 
Michael Jordan, I will literally get into verbal and borderline physical arguments with someone about Jordan, but I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm buying in on that. Well, but I collected as many stories as I could of other people who were named Michael Jordan at the time and who were living, <laughs> ideally living around here, but living Your anywhere. And, and over the over the years, like newspapers in you know ninety two to ninety eight, probably maybe a little bit later, maybe earlier, um, we're doing like his name's Michael Jordan too story. So there was like a lot of stuff there. I subscribed to newspapers.com. And so I can just go through and you could drop the search term, the real Michael Jordan, because they're like little things that you can figure out using the newspaper database. They're like, oh, well, if they were going to write about something, they would have said it in one of these three ways and you can kind of take a shot. And so I found all these Michael Jordans. And then I remembered a Michael Jordan and I was looking for him and then I found a different Michael Jordan who's an attorney and was telling me about how he went and was picking up a prescription in like 97 and it wasn't his it was actually it was mj's and he was like and i was just like what if i had taken this wrong prescription this would have been terrible and i was like wow like he had been mistaken for his name or not mistaken but he his his first election in cook county i think was like in 84 and he was like i was an unknown and i'm pretty sure i won because my name was michael jordan and people just they were like they didn't think i was michael jordan but they just wanted to be able to say i voted for michael jordan i voted for michael jordan and he's like yeah i'm pretty sure he was like i'm a good judge and like here here are my actual bar qualifications and he was like i'm good but i definitely probably got elected the first time out because <laughs> my name is michael the jordan, jordan the air jordan bump there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with uh with that the, elect, right the election day um, mj bump that's right you you mentioned something and uh you led me perfectly into my next question just because i'm so curious um i grew up worshiping newspapers I grew up worshiping Sam Smith. I grew up worshiping yeah. on, on Sundays or Saturdays, uh, the list of, uh, you know, the batting averages um, and all the RBIs and this nice little clean little row. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to hear a little bit about um, just like your journey turning into a Chicago sports historian. I'm sure it was born out of passion, but was there a moment, was there some sort of uh, time in your life when you decided um, to take it further and continue, you know, continue to ascend and, and, you know, make that your vocation the time was uh july of 2011 um july 22nd 2011 and that was probably right around the time it might have been a little bit earlier might have been a little bit later but that was a certain night where we were doing an event and i was with all my friends and the event wasn't really working and I was kind of sitting on the sideline going like, why am I sitting on the sideline at this event when, you know, I got a lot of things going on. And so that was probably the day. And those are all my, those are all my best friends and I love them and they all came to my wedding, but that was probably the day. And they would, they'd be the first to tell you that show didn't work either. Um, but in terms of been there, been story, there. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, it just was, it was a disaster. Um, but in terms of being a historian, I mean, that's definitely something that came just naturally at the outset. You know, I've always been interested in history. I've always been interested in numbers. I've been interested in lists. Yeah, any, any list of things yes. that go, Ben, you can yes. like go back and all that. So 
always loved those elements, always loved the newspaper. And there was a lot of history. We were a Tribune family. Um, and then we added the Sun-Times when my brother got a little bit older and then he started wanting to read the paper too. And then we were like, we were like tussling in the morning over it. My dad finally was like, all right, fuck it. Sun-Times as well. So, but we grew up a Tribune family and I just loved the paper. Um, I don't, I don't, I didn't look at it as anything unusual because we grew up at a time of newspapers. And now I, you know, as a, I, I am a, I am a some, some, sometimes subscriber. And now I do get it in part because I want to, in the morning, hold something. I want to, I, you know, I want like our, our kids to see us reading something physical. Um, I like the urgency of it that it's, there's this one today. And if you don't read it, there's a new one tomorrow and the stuff from today. You know, I, I like having something like that that feels like you have to do it now. And, but at the time I just loved the paper. I loved the information in it. I loved the writers. Like you said, we had Sam, we had Melissa Isaacson, we had Jerome Holtzman who shaped baseball, who shaped baseball. I mean, invented the save. Um, we had Bob Verde who I liked. We had Bernie Linscomb who I didn't really like, a little caustic for my taste. Um, uh, Steve Rosenblum, a lot caustic for my taste. Skip Bayless. Skip, <laughs> I was, was going to say, I was going to say, is is either going to be Skip, Skip, Jay, or Steve? It was going to be my guess of the. Well, of the I only read like you know. Well, pass Jay, all, Jay, Jay also also caustic for my taste. Um, but I only read him yeah. at, at at mustards. Um, uh, in Evanston, that's the uh the hot dog joint that's next to yeah. Northwestern. Um, for all your Big Ten listeners out there. Um, so that was really where I read the Sun Times. At home, I read the Tribune, and it was filled with information. It was filled with passion. It was filled with story. It was filled with history. There were always, you know, new new lists of numbers and new lists of so and so. You know, Phil Jackson just five hundredth uh, win or fastest ever to five hundred wins, or Sammy Sosa just hit his three. Well, I was a, when he hit his three hundredth. You know, yeah, stuff like run, that. They'd run these double page, like double page graphics. Exactly. Yeah, 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 the bar graph is like. Yeah. Exactly. So all that stuff. I mean, it was the ideal course book for someone like me. And, but I would say, in terms of thinking and saying, I'm a historian. That really started in 2011, when I just needed some kind of clear identity in this world and it seemed like that was a good one no one else was saying that they were the historian so i thought yeah. that would be good and then it gives you something to live up to because then now you have to get everything right well so uh, so the follow-up question and uh we're going to move on to bears in a second would be you know with the book six rings um you know, based on how you feel and that turning point in your life, you're now um, on the precipice of releasing a book about, you know, I I'll just say it, the golden age of probably Chicago sports with its greatest team. So uh, is, is that what attracted you uh, to this particular piece? Or was it, you know, what was it, yeah, that, partially. That, it that brought you well, to the place of writing Six Rings? Yeah. Well, I write a lot about the Bulls and I write yeah. a lot about that Bulls team. Um, uh Rick Tellender told me one time that he didn't think he was a historian until one day he realized that all the things he thought of as current events were history. 
And all of a sudden, it's like all this bull stuff that I'm like, oh, well, I've been reading about this team and watching these games pretty much nonstop. When did YouTube pop up? Mid-2000s? And before that, we had like DVDs uh, of games, oh, like the Jordan oh, four, six, yeah, 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 okay. And there, there was like the Jordan six pack DVD, and that came out. And you know, I've been watching this stuff and reading it, and I saved all these newspapers and Sports Illustrated continuously. But there, a lot of people haven't. And so when it became evident that there was a lot of room for and a lot of appetite for MJ and the Bulls, you know, I just thought, well. People are going to be talking about this. I should be one of those people. I mean, if there's going to be, you know, a market for people just knowing a lot of shit about the '90s Bulls, like I know a lot of the shit, so the I guy. should, <laughs> right? So you know, I'll I'll deal your shit. Like I'll do it. Let me do it. So I yeah. just thought, you know, that makes sense. And there and there incredibly is no um, single book. Even if you remove the cultural aspect, there's no single book that runs the whole dynasty. So all the books about the Bulls sure. are single season. There's a lot of them over my shoulder here. Um, most of them are single season. You got some biographies. You've got autobiographies. You got like certain memoirs. Um, you've got elements of the Bulls uh, run that pop bad up as, in Bad as books. I want to be? You've got bad as I want to be? Of course. One of the best. Absolutely. <laughs> Boom, this right is there. one of the best, No, this is one of the best sports memoirs that I've ever read. It is it's incredible. It is honest. It's insightful. And for some reason, they said, fuck it, fonts. <laughs> They're just like, they don't have time for this. They they just the modern reader is not trying to mess with all these words. Big ass print and bold. <laughs> You know, that's a Rodman note. That was like, it's got to be bigger. Rodman was like, <laughs> add the bold, please. Yeah, so... We'll, we'll get this. We'll get this to 200 pages. Yeah, but uh, but despite that, there isn't one book that runs yeah. the whole show. So I was like, yeah, well, someone's going to write it. I should I should do it. I should write it. Yeah, I'll be your safety seat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's coming right down the pike. Uh, we're here with Jack Silverstein here on Bet on Chicago, Chicago Sports Historian. Make sure you follow him at Reed Jack. Uh, it's time. We're going to talk about the Chicago Bears. Uh, I'm going to give you door number one, coaching staff organization. Door number two, offense. Door number three, defense. And maybe door number four. I mean, if you just, you know, if you're emotionally, you want to talk about your state right now. Because I think this is the lowest uh, in my fandom in my life. Oh, well, it's door number one back. combined with door number four. <laughs> it's you walk through door number one and door number four is right behind it and then you keep going and that's where you are I, I've been saying recently that the Chicago Bears are the oh, DC God, movie upset. franchise oh my god <laughs> they're, they're the oh, DC movie oh that stings bro that they're the DC for, movie franchise we have the city Batman and we have the name and the history and the legacy of the Bears of Superman and we just can't get the shit right you just can't. It's sitting right there for us. There's no reason why, but we can't. We can't do it. That's harmful. I loved the Batman. That was the Batman that was made for me. I, that was the Batman that I'd been waiting for. Was that movie? That what, movie Pat, was Pat, Pattinson? Pattinson Batman? Oh, so good. Yeah. No, enjo I enjoyed it, but took a couple swings at the bat, though, right? We had to go through a couple Trespan Zack Snyder's maybe to get it 
get it to a spot, but I don't know about all that. I just and know Nolan, Nolan, and Nolan is separate, obviously. But I see. Uh, yeah, I didn't, Chicago, I, did, I, Chicago, I didn't love him, but Chicago Bears, lay it on me. Yeah, I'm pissed. Um, well, I think my first major issue. Who am I kidding? They're all just interconnected. But the first one that is has been on my mind the most is that I don't feel confident saying that we know the extent of Kevin Warren's authority. Hmm. I know we've been told we know it, but I don't fully believe that we do. And I'm waiting for anyone on the beat to just ask it directly. You want to know what the best question of this year, of this crazy, crazy ass year was? The best question was when Brad Biggs and I didn't see the video. I, I I can't see him, but I can kind of like hear his face. And Kevin, the right and the best question of the year, hands down, is Brad Biggs finally thinking for a moment and asking the dumbest follow up question ever, which turned out to be the smartest. I say the dumbest because it's the kind of question where you go, "That's a ridiculous. Why would I even ask that?" It's like asking, you know. Are we in this room? I mean, it's that level of dumb question, except that sometimes when you don't ask anything and you don't ask it and then you ask it and it turns out to be the opposite, sometimes that's the greatest question. This was a stroke of genius from Brad Biggs, who after listening to consecutive questions about the Allen Williams situation said, is Allen Williams still the defensive coordinator of the Bears? And they could not answer the question. It was the best moment on the beat, and I don't understand why no one yet has said, Kevin Warren, do you have the authority to fire Ryan Poles at the end of the year if you want to? Do you have the sole authority? Would you the feel like you could do it all on your own and just do it? The, they asked the question where they gave him too many outs. So they go, Kevin, what is your role in the football operations? So they leave it open, right? And then he goes, well, I do this, I do that or whatever. But a pointed question like that is something that never gets asked. And and my my also my gleam on this is just how often do we hear Kevin Warren talk about football matters? I mean, we've heard a lot about the stadium. If you ask him about Justin, he'll answer a question. That is correct. But I, I, I'm with you that um, you would see it as possibly an opportunity the way the season's going with what Kevin – Warren's authority we think is now to clean the slate and knock out both polls and Eberflus and start anew. But again, I mean, we've dealt with Ted Phillips for a little bit too long, right? I'm, I'm a little curious too, as well, exactly what his swing is on the football side of things specifically. Yeah, they did everything backwards. I mean, this isn't news to anyone, but they, in my opinion, should have yeah. used 2020 as the opportunity to just wipe it clean. They never should have given Pace the opportunity to draft the QB. To draft Justin. And that's... Trade up. That's the starting problem. Because now you're in a situation where the team president is able to say, well, the GM, I didn't hire him. And the GM is able to say, quarterback, I didn't draft him. And I wonder, I do wonder, if Kevin Warren was brought in, George thought that Ryan Poles was set. So we're going to bring in Kevin Warren. He's president. Ryan Poles technically reports to him, but because Ryan Poles has like two, three more years before we're going to have to make a decision on him. This is 
I'm projecting the thought process. Um, yeah. You can come in and get Kevin Warren, who has this incredible experience with the Minnesota stadium deal. And he can come in and basically have a free year to do just the stadium because Ryan Poles has got this ship sailing. And the Bears have never uh, – excuse me. The Bears have only once fired either a head coach or a GM in less than three years. It was Mark Trestman. So not counting Patty Driscoll coached in place of Hallis in, what, between, in one, of his, between one of his stints or uh, two of his stints. So not counting that. We've only fired a head coach or a GM before three years once. So does this team have the appetite, this organization do the appetite to do it now twice in one year? Does Kevin Warren really have that authority or would he feel obligated to go to George or did George say like, hey, don't worry about this? Or, you know, I just, I wanna know. I would love for someone to just ask Kevin Warren, on what basis are you evaluating Ryan Poles at the end of the year? Like, what do you have to see from him for the remainder of the year? To retain him, what do you have to see from him for the remainder of the year to go in another direction? And I mean, you can like yeah. soft corporate speak that question to him, but like that would be it. And then he would have to say Ryan's job is secure, but you could press him on like so that when he doesn't meet those things or does meet those things, you can come back and say, and I would ask Ryan Poles the exact same question about Matt Eberflus. And I would just apply pressure straight down the line because. Yeah. It's an evasive organization in many ways. I like George McCaskey a lot. I mean, like personally, I've never met him, but he seems like a really good guy. But it's 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 had its who's in charge here problems off and on since the late 1960s, running all the way. You mentioned Ted Phillips, Joey, and Ted Phillips to the end of his time was saying he wasn't involved. He's not a football guy. And then at the end of a disappointing season, there'd be four people talking and one of them would be Ted Phillips. Be like get this guy out of here you a football guy aren't you are you in charge of things or aren't you so i think it's reasonable to ask what is the extent of kevin warren's authority and if he decided he wanted to reset and do a full reset could he comfortably do that could he do it i i definitely think you're a guy who loves reading between the lines so for me the way that i would kind of look at this is that you know there's a bunch of different cards that kevin warren can play um, in the coming months. I don't think we're going to see them next week. I don't think we're going to see them anytime soon. But when the season ends, there's a couple cards that you can play. The first one, right, is the one that now George can get away with this this last regime, this bad last hire of a regime by saying, Kevin Warren's now in charge. We're going to wipe the slate clean. That is a card that they can play. And honestly, a lot of Bears fans will definitely buy that. The other one is Kevin Warren comes out and honestly just says, I think we're moving in the right direction. Wishy-washy, read between the lines. He doesn't have the authority and then the other one is, I'm having a hard time believing that he's going to let go of polls. I'm having an easier time believing he's going to let go of Eberflus. But there is a card that he can play that says, look, we demand a certain standard. Playoffs, wins, however he wants to phrase it. It puts Ryan Poles on notice, and then there's a 12-month lease on Ryan Poles. And at least that that's when you say, okay, well, maybe Kevin Warren does have the opportunity to push the button. Um, I don't know if he would answer it directly, but I think those are the three doors that he could go through and we could read between the lines of each of them. Yeah, I agree with that. The issue here is that Ryan Poles has his own doors. So now as a oh, Bears sure. fan, you you now as a Bears fan, you kind of start to try to read between the lines on like the sweat deal. You're like, 
okay, is that a sign that he is locked in here and he's, you know, free to make significant moves uh, as he sees fit because he's got the job? Or is that an act of someone who is trying to still win the job? And as a Bears fan, mm -hmm. you don't really know. And it makes you sit here and go like, oh, I don't even know what I'm watching. Am I watching someone who's going to be here next year? Am I, you know, because they didn't take care of that. Am I, who, like, we got Bajan out there and why aren't they playing Justin? And what's, like, what am I looking at here? Like, you, you know, you, you don't really have, like, Justin Fields is the only player on the team who's tell your children worthy. <laughs> and DJ Moore uh, well, has just, had a tell your children. Well, DJ Morris had a tell your children game and Eddie yeah. Jackson um, had a tell your children year, two years in a way. But in terms of guys, Jack right Sanborn's now, a tell your Jack Sanborn's oh, a tell your child joke. right out of here. Yeah, <laughs> he's a joke. Yeah. I said he's a, it's the joke. You tell your kids. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sanborn. I like him a lot. But I mean, I saw someone in a no, I know, jersey. I'm like, everyone goes, I have to look. I'm like, is that is that Olin? Is that Tom Thayer at Sanborn? Okay. Uh, cut right to it. Is Justin Fields on the Bears next year? Man, I don't know. I would like him to be. I'm still very pro Fields. I don't understand the um, insistence that we're evaluating him and not evaluating Getzey. I, do, I don't understand how all the conversation is around Justin and not around Getzey and Eberflus. I don't, I don't get the timeline. We drafted him. People liked him at that point. He had an okay rookie season. We all acknowledge it was a terrible situation. You're coming in with a lame duck GM, a lame duck head coach, a lame duck offense coordinator, lame duck coaching staff. We all agreed that they hung him out to dry against Cleveland. Then we all agree that last year is a reset and a, you're stripping it for parts still. Like the, the, the line is... Across the board, we all know this is supposed to be a bad year, new head coach, new coaching staff, Justin in year two. And it's acknowledged that like the roster sucks and it's going to be crazy. And Justin just entertains everybody. And he also had, you know, several clutch passes that if caught, that record looks a lot different. He had the ones against Minnesota. He had the ones against Miami. He had the ones, you know, uh, Mooney's bobble at the goal line. I love Mooney. I'm not talking shit about Mooney, but I'm just saying, like, no, there are Washington, a number of yeah. – Yeah, against Washington. Uh, and there was one against Detroit. There's a number of plays where you're just like, God, I mean, Justin did his part on that. And it just – Now, but, but everyone kind of goes, okay, that's fine because, gosh, look at this luck of the draw. We got the number one pick. And this is where I don't buy the Ryan Poles is, well, that's not my guy thing. Like you made a decision on him. Like you could have traded him. And I guess, you know, there's a case to be made that maybe he just didn't like any of the QBs. Um, but it's still like at that point, it's, he's at least like half your guy at this point. Like you can't say he's not your guy, Ryan Poles. And like you can't say Eberflus isn't your guy. Like you hired him. And you told that story about like this is the moment I laid eyes on Matthew Eberflus, and like if that's like him running game to like run the company line for George, like you still said it, you know, like you're still your own person tied to it. Yeah, tied to it. Now. I I think so. So now 
you're like 0 for 1 and maybe 0 for 1 and a half on your QB. But like we all accept that, you know, the rookie year was a weird year. The second year was a weird year. And we all look out, and in the start of the third year, we can all tell, like, something doesn't look right. He looks stiff. And then he comes out and he says, well, it was the coaching. And then he, like, goes back, you know, he, everyone's, like, grilling him for it. So then he goes back. Uh, Dan Bernstein gave a nice recap of this on the score the other day. Um, but uh, so then, like, they have this coaching thing out, and then he goes back-to-back games, eight touchdowns. Then he gets injured. So in my head, I'm going, where in that did we all decide, oh, Justin Fields is definitely not worth bringing back? Where in that? We all agree that this is a terrible coaching hire. Maybe the worst coaching hire in Bears history, and that's saying something. Certainly statistically the worst. He now, over, you know, he, he lords over our, our biggest losing streak of all time, you know, our worst 17 game stretch, our worst 20 game stretch, you know, hasn't won a division game, goes however long, 13 months without a home win. So worst coaching idea, worst hire. And the guy he hired sucks. So why are we not accounting for all of that? Why is there so much? Well, Justin, that's Caleb Will. What's Caleb Williams? What are Drake May? What are these guys going to do under these knuckleheads? And if it's not these knuckleheads, then who's hiring the knuckleheads? The guy who hired the last knucklehead. So there's a really interesting thing I think that's going on among quarterbacks in the NFL. And to be honest with you, so far to this point in the season, I think the NFL, the football, the style, I'm just like the, the entertainment quality of it. I think it's been pretty bad this year. And if you look around, there aren't that many elite, elite quarterbacks. Of course, we're going to name guys like Mahomes, but that list used to be about 10, 11, 12, and I think it's probably shrunk to closer to like five or six this year. And that means that, okay, maybe Justin Fields isn't that guy, but it also means that you can compete really quickly with a lot of different talent. We've seen so many guys over the last four or five years go Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford's on his way out, Aaron Rodgers is on his way out, Ben Roethlisberger. All these guys have been the dominant quarterbacks the last five or six years. All those guys are gone, and you're seeing guys like Kyler Murray flame out, Baker Mayfield. These are number one picks um, that aren't necessarily the salvation that I think Bears fans think it is. So if you're saying, I'm with you, man. So Caleb Williams, Drake May, I mean, they're, it's interesting, but I don't think that necessarily means an automatic significant upgrade over what Justin could possibly be if they ever got stuff ironed out. So I'm, is- I'm just saying for Bears fans, be careful. Be careful about just – praying all oh, the the quarterback coming out of the draft i mean just just be careful with that because some of these guys haven't quite popped the way that we all thought they would when they came out you know in these last couple of years agree joey and that also raises you know this point about bajan and this push that is clearly going on now i i know that there are people theorizing that the bears coaching staff must have leaked things to chris collinsworth that could be that might not be chris collinsworth is, could have just been doing his own He's got a show to do. Trying, I don't know. They, got, had graphic, got, they had graphics. They had graphics built up for Bajan in a in a needle. He was the needle got, in the he, haystack. He's so got he's people that he's got funny bones to tickle. Um, yeah, but here, I'll I'll read you this. These are Aaron Rodgers' stats um, last year, so his last full year. 
3,695 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 91.1 rating, 64.6 completion percentage. These are Justin Fields stats, his last 17 starts before the Vikings game. 3,088 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, same as Rodgers. 92.6 rating, a little bit higher than Rodgers. 61.9 completion percentage, lower than Rodgers. Now, where it's different, 65 sacks. Rushing touchdowns. Well, yeah, 65 sacks versus 32 sacks. He has uh, 1,145 yards and seven touchdowns ahead of Rodgers on the ground. But from a passing standpoint, pretty close, pretty close. The thing with Bajan and saying he should study him, I, that was so <laughs> insulting. Um, it, it really weird. was. It really, I mean, it, 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 it really bothered take me. Take what you can get. Just take what you can get. Study yeah, but, uh, was, you know, when, yeah. when, when Fields was doing, when Fields was doing that, people were killing him for it. And I mean, he even said last year that he had talked to Aaron Rodgers and studied Aaron Rodgers. And then he talked about the zip with which you get the ball out and that like you can turn a two yard play into a 40 or two yard pass into a 40 yard play. And he was talking about like, you know, take what's there. And so, yeah, the whole situation stinks to high heaven. And that's why as much as I like Justin Fields, I do want Kevin Warren to do a full reset top to bottom because you finally, you need to run this thing in the correct order. You know, Kevin Warren's only the second, he's only the second person that the family has hired outside of the building to run the team, first being Jim Finks. And Jim Finks took over, and he just took shit, he took it all over, they top to bottom. That. They didn't like that, and then they got rid of his ass. And then well, Dicka, they didn't like that, and they got rid of his ass, and then no Lonnie comes in. No we doubt, good no doubt. Since. No doubt. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for Kevin Warren to do a full reset. And I am also wondering if he has been given complete authority to do so, or if there was any sort of a hint of like, yeah, but you know, don't move too fast in this guy. Or like we, we feel really good about Ryan Poles, you know? And so then is it just Eberflus and Fields out? So I don't know. We'll see. It's really frustrating. I mean, the bears are, a joke to so many people and it's frustrating to think about that. I mean, this is where my like historian side and my fan side really start to butt heads because I can, I feel that as a fan, but it's contextualized as the historian. It makes it feel worse because I can like really like chart how much happier I would have been as a bears fan. If I had been born 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, 40 years earlier, I can like project like the exact games that would have made me happy. And it, it sucks. It sucks. I mean, to to bring it full circle, uh, we we got Jordan though. You don't want to move back that far away because let's be honest, then you wouldn't have had Jordan, or you would have been older for Jordan. Um, we got just a couple of minutes here left on Bet on Chicago here with Jack Silverstein. I I wanted to get out of here um real quick and give you the opportunity. I you texted uh, emailed me this uh, a little bit late, so I'm so interested just to hear. Um, as we're taping this right now, um, Bobby Knight, the very uh, the Hall of Fame Indiana basketball coach, uh, passed away. Also, very famously coached uh, MJ in his first Olympics. Um, very famously had a wonderful quote about you know watch out for this guy. I'm paraphrasing obviously, but this guy's the next greatest basketball player on the planet Earth. He called it first. Um, if you could just provide our audience a context of um, how you remember Bobby Knight, and also just you know your thoughts on his passing. 
yeah, well, I was a freshman at Indiana when Bobby Knight was fired. So the riots, I haven't seen the 30 for 30 yet. Um, I think the Indianapolis star did a great oral history on it. And so I have read that and it was terrific, but, um, but yeah, I was out there and it was a, it was a, it was, it was a weird ass way to start your, your college career. Um, there was a guy I didn't forget because he's like the third Kevin Smith who I'd heard of or met. Guy's name is Kevin Smith. He was a freshman. We were both freshmen at the same time. He was a linebacker on the uh, football team. And we had room together at orientation because they, like, I showed up with a friend of mine from home, but like the roommates were created by the school. So it was someone you didn't know. And the night that we were there for orientation, the Lakers were uh, eliminating the Pacers, beating the Pacers in the finals in game six. So we were there and my friend and I were kind of like, kind of like shining it on at like Indiana folks and like rooting for the Lakers. Cause of like Phil and Ron Harper and you know, we hated the Pacers obviously cause all the ball stuff. Um, so it was like big group of sports fans in that sense. And then it was like, you know, me and this guy, Kevin was really cool and you know, but he's on the football team. So sports playing, you know, another, uh, another role there. And so like the day that he was fired, would have been the day or two after he the word came out that he had um, grabbed the student, also a freshman. It was all these freshmen, and had grabbed the student. You know, it's not Knight, it's Mr. Knight or Coach Knight. And then that kid's like father was a sports writer who had beef with Bobby Knight. So there was a lot of animosity on that level because people thought, oh, this is a sting to take advantage of the zero tolerance policy that they had just put in place like five months earlier because of the Neil Reed video. And so there was like two days where it was like, is something, is he going to get fired? Now I didn't come to Indiana for basketball. I grew up in Evanston. I was a Northwestern fan. So my fandom was with Northwestern. I went to Indiana because of the journalism program in the newspaper. Um, I didn't think of it in athletic terms because my team was still Northwestern. So I hadn't really even switched over. Like even though our dorm was across from the basketball stadium, I I hadn't really switched in my head and been like, oh yeah, this is Indiana University, like Bobby Knight's Indiana University. So I wasn't really fully there. And like the Bears lost, they got beat by beat bad by Tampa Bay. And then word came out that he was fired. And I remember watching TV and someone, you know, ESPN is reporting live from Assembly Hall. And I'm like, oh shit. And I like look out the window and it's like, there's the van, like there's the reporter I'm looking at. And I'm starting to think, because it was only like my our first week of school. It was like September 10th. You know, we got there end of August. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is my school. So like I wander out and there's people gathering in the uh, in the parking lot. And I remember there was some guy with a, a megaphone and he pointed at this guy who I didn't know. It was George Leach, who was a forward on the team. And he was like, we didn't come here to watch Indiana basketball without Bobby Knight. George Leach didn't come here to play for someone other than Bobby Knight. And this guy was going, I remember George Leach was kind of like, I don't know what, you, who? He just looked stunned. And slowly this, this mob, I mean, it was a public gathering and it became a mob and it became a riot. We ended up at, um, at the president's uh, house, Miles Brand. There was this half circle lawn and I was standing right in front of it. And like, I'm looking around, there's people burning this kid. I won't say his name in case people have forgotten it, but um, this kid's burning this kid's 
his name and effigy, like his body and effigy, but like it says like his name on on like the body. So like you couldn't, you knew what it was. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Indiana. They're putting people up in trees right now. Like this is fucked up. And I'm looking around, like the crowd is swelling behind me. We're getting closer and closer. Now it's four or five p.m. You know, Indiana has that weird thing with daylight savings time because of farmers. They don't change. So I don't remember oh, yeah. where, like what time this would have been, but it was already nightfall. And then I look and there's riot cops and I'm like, ugh. And so I have this rule that if you're under 5'8 and you're between a house and riot cops and a crowd, you move out of there. So I move back and the riot cops start going and the tear gas is shooting off and everyone just scatters. And in the middle of the scatter, spot Kevin Smith. And he spots me and we're just looking at each other like we were just at orientation. What in the world is going on right now? We are running for our lives because the basketball coach got fired. Bobby Knight had had that like, you know, Nixon on the Capitol steps impromptu meeting, except if they were all like his fans. And, you know, like he had gone out to somewhere on campus or maybe a little bit off campus and given the speech and. Oh God. I mean, the place was just, you could feel it. You could feel this energy of like, like betrayal, like furious betrayal. You know, people loved Bobby, loved Bobby Knight. I mean, they were like, I want you to choke and whip me, Bobby Knight, like throw the chair at me, Mr. Like coach Knight. Like they loved him. There was a little, I sensed a little masochism, but you know, he had also won three titles it was like if you went to Indiana, it was possible that your parents went to Indiana when he won his first title. You know, like it was really in the family. Yeah. And it was a, it was electric. It was just an electric evening and a little bit unsettling. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, my thoughts, I think of that. Um, obviously, I love the, the, the MJ quote. Obviously, I um, don't approve or is not my style. He's not my style. Coach Knight. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, I have him to to thank for my favorite sports movie of all time, Blue Chips. So the yin and the yang. I was gonna say he's really he's really he's really great in it. He's really good. Gives JT Walsh a real run for his money. Uh, Nick Nick Nolte. <laughs> there was a Nick, scene with that. Nick, uh, yeah. Nick Nolte spent Nick so Nolte, much time. I think Patino Patino makes an appearance in there. Yeah, he look, does. I mean, I he he was a. Um, you know, growing up playing basketball, he was the coach I always feared I would never get, even though you respected that he was, uh, you know, you respected what he did. And obviously he yeah. was Hoosier basketball. Obviously he did become uh, the cantankerous uh, media personality, uh, the larger than life guy um, later on. Right. But, uh, you know, I think I, I think in general on the court, um, I think he did a lot for the game of basketball and obviously his indiscretions. Um, and his faults, uh, you can't take that away. And that's always just going to be a part of like kind of who he is. Um, but I'm glad you survived. And uh, it's one thing to not be able to find to find the cafeteria or figure out where you're going to shower. But it it's another thing. Not, I remember, just, riot, I just remember Kevin and I seeing each other and we were like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, it was all good just a week ago. Like, what's going who's, on here? Who, who's your basketball? Who's your basketball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We got to get out of here. This is Bet on Chicago. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, he's Chicago Sports Historian. You can follow him at Reed Jack. Make sure you check out his newsletter, A Shot on Elo. And he will have a book that he'll be. If you follow him on Twitter, he's going to give you all the news and notes about when that is going to be coming out. 
Six Rings, That's right. Bulls, the City, and the Dynasty that changed the game. Jack Silverstein, man, great to meet you, man. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the show and hope to have you back on soon. Joey, thank you so much for having me. This was great. This was, you know, fortuitous timing because of your show and your Big Ten background that we were able to do it on this day. Um, I know. You know, that, that was, that was something, but yeah, uh, rejack.substack.com. That's a newsletter. And, uh, there's a lot of gems. <laughs> Come on down for the gems. Uh, too bad. The, the old newsletter didn't really make it. The one that was a shot on Elo. Go on. The balls win. Cause you just can't, you can't read it. You can, it was hard to read. It was hard to spell. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. 50% welcome bonus when you use promo code believe BLEAV. Thank you for listening to us wherever you get your podcasts and Sirius XM or checking us out on YouTube on Sports Talk Chicago. I'm Joey Christopoulos. We'll be back with more until then be well be safe please be good to each other and remember when in doubt always bet on chicago thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube